Welcome everyone to The Spoken Nerd. I'm your host, Connor McDonald. The guest today probably is a name almost synonymous with the name of Oracle. Rumor has it he was born in the Oracle offices as a toddler, you know, wrote the buffer cache with just blocks painted with zeros and ones. And without further ado, Dom Giles, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks very much, Connor. Um, that's a very interesting introduction to born in the Oracle womb, as it were. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I, I have to admit, normally, to, to set my guest at ease, I'll normally sort of wax lyrical about current events and, and things that would typically be in common between people of two different geographies. And the uh, the natural one, obviously, would normally be cricket or something like that. But given that Given that England just won the World T20 Cup and the Aussies, you don't want to talk about it. And the Aussies didn't even make the uh, the final cut. No, no, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, it was brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, it could only have been better if it like it actually happened in the UK, and you'd had to come all the way over here to lose, as opposed to us going all the way over there to win. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty good. And and that's enough about world events. <laughs> <laughs> Now, normally when I have a guest on the show, I'll go trolling through LinkedIn in a way of finding out their background, seeing what's going on, going through their experiences, et cetera. And so I jumped onto your LinkedIn and it has joined Oracle. That is the most boring LinkedIn profile ever. Uh, there, there was a hint there of IBM graduate programmer. That's right, yeah. I joined IBM as a graduate. Works on OS2, that tells you something, right? You don't even remember OS2, right? I worked in Hursley Labs on the... PM presentation manager front end for OS2 and I was the day, I was there on the day that Microsoft and IBM split parts and Windows as it is now was uh, started and OS2 took a bit of a death blow at that stage when half the Microsoft employees who were working with me walked out of the office and the other uh, IBM staff sat down and went what on earth is going on so yeah I was there on that day so and it wasn't long after that that uh, I actually went back to university and then started Oracle. Yeah, I, and it's very boring, isn't it? Incredibly boring. Did you ever work on OS two Warp? That was I remember we were we were an OS two customer back in the day. So so that was yeah. I mean, I it, I was a very early day, so I was there for the launch party of OS two, and so all of that sort of stuff again was very very early days. So one of my jobs as a graduate was to go through and compiled the OS2, which was done on state-of-the-art 486 CPUs at that time, which still took us about 12 to 20 hours to compile the OS2 code. And then I had to transfer it onto floppy disks. And there was about 30 of them that I had to basically stick in and copy. And then just and had to make multiple copies and distribute them to the various teams as an install test. So yeah, it wasn't when we talk about OS2, it wasn't a glorious days uh, for me at the OS2 labs. It was interesting. Uh, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say I was doing anything that was cutting edge at that stage. It was very much what you would expect to see for a junior, junior programmer um, in any software development organization. Although I, I will talk up OS2. I remember I was working at BHP in those days and I was a COBOL programmer. PCs were just starting to sort of become fledgling things. And we had uh, Lotus 123, the, the pre predecessor of Excel. And I think we'd got, I think we had Windows 3 or maybe Windows 3 for work groups, or maybe even just MS-DOS. Even in those days, spreadsheets were the database as they are nowadays. Like people, I always tell people Excel is the number one database in the world. In those days, Lotus123 was, and we had some spreadsheets that were so big and complicated. MS-DOS couldn't open them. Windows 3 for work groups couldn't open them. And we had our one machine, an IBM 386, because that was the absolute bleeding edge. 
and had OS2 on it, and it, it could open. It could open this one particular spreadsheet that's pretty much like every company, you know, multi-billion dollar company, but if you lost that one spreadsheet, you were toast. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was the spreadsheet. And, and the irony was that IBM OS2 was way ahead, way ahead of any operating system at that stage. And it always, I think all of us, uh, IBM, and, you know, when I was at IBM, it's making me sound like I was a long-term employee of IBM. I was there for like 12 months as a graduate. The, the, the funny thing is, even then, we all knew that uh, OS2 was far better than anything else in the industry, far, far, far better than anything else in the industry at that stage. But yeah, it was it was astonishing to us to think that Microsoft would want to go back to what turned into Windows 3.1 over the power of OS2, but it just shows you, right? It doesn't, it's like VHS and Betamax. It doesn't really matter how good your solution is. It's all about marketing. It's all about the actual presence inside of the marketplace and the simple things. You know, if you have luck with a solution like Lotus 123 at that stage and you have the right software, and that's what moves the market. So, yeah, it was interesting times. I learned an awful lot at that stage from some very, very, smart people who worked inside of IBM at that stage, you, you know, even as a graduate, and I, I, I'm incredibly grateful for the uh, people inside of IBM and my manager at that time, who basically you know, told me that IBM wasn't the place for a young, bright graduate programmer, and that I should start looking at other alternatives. And that's from that point, you know, I started looking around and whilst my background, oddly enough, wasn't in databases, my background was in <laughs> 3D graphics, oddly enough. My thesis was on solid 3D graphic rendering, uh, which was embed textures. So purling noise um, at that time. Was it purling noise? It was certainly noise generation functions for solid 3D texturing. So to actually come to databases, it's a big leap. It's similar. I, I have a similar experience in the sense that my honors paper was in robotics and I opted to not do the database unit so I could do the robotics. And that classic thing where at university they tell you that everything that's a little bit niche is going to be the future, is going to be the mainstream. And then, of course, you go get your first job and they go, do you know COBOL? And I went, no. And they went, well, you're about to learn. And I'm like, what about robotics? And they went, <laughs> yeah. forget robotics, start learning COBOL. Well, oddly enough, it was different for me, right? My, my, when I joined Oracle, and you know, I was very grateful. Oddly, I joined Oracle as a bet at the time. My friend bet me that I couldn't get a job with Oracle. Because Oracle at that stage was very much the young, up-and-coming company. It was very hot. Everyone wanted to join Oracle at that stage. And we had a bet that either of us couldn't get the job. And of course, he didn't even bother turning up for the interview. And I did. And it all changed from there. But oddly enough, when I joined, they started very much the same sort of thing. You know, it was just like, do you know forms? And I started doing some forms coding. And then the conversation turned to, we had a problem that couldn't be solved inside of PLSQL. Um, and it revolved crunching a whole load of financials as it's time. It's just Financials was coming online just at that stage. It needed to be crunched. And I did it in C. And when they found out I was I could develop in C, I was moved out of Oracle Forms and into Oracle Development in a payroll. So uh, Oracle Payroll was at that stage. And that's when my development career started. So yeah, it, it all comes around. So whilst I wasn't using much of my C skills when I started, I certainly you know, moved back into that um, in my late, in my early days inside of the Oracle. So continuing on the, the DOM origin story, we hear the terms nowadays, Gen Z, Gen X, Gen this, Gen that, millennial, etc. I prefer the term Gen version, which is we, we associate people's 
IT careers with, with the particular Oracle release. I was an Oracle 6 baby. What Oracle baby were you? I was Oracle 5, just on the transition cusp to track, uh, Oracle 6. And for most people, that doesn't mean very much unless you've actually been in Oracle a long time. But the jump from Oracle 5 to Oracle 6 was a particularly brutal period for organizations and, you know, for indeed inside of Oracle. Uh, as we went from what it becomes Oracle 5, which was a, a great database in my world, to I think what was a real transformational version of the database, which was Oracle 6. But it was difficult, you know, doing those initial migrations from 5 to 6, you know, migrating what in some instances were relatively small databases by today's standards, but were pretty big. When you all the, the tools that you had at that stage were quarter-inch tape or floppy disks, and you were very limited in terms of our disk storage and memory to do very complicated migration processes from five to six. And you know, it, it was really, as you say, the generation that changed the database industry, that five to six period, because it was also a generation in terms of changing the guard in terms of hardware as well. You know, the old guard of VMS and IBM, MVS, and VM were all changing over to the new generation of SQL and uh, Pyramid uh, operating systems and Sun were all on the rise at that stage. And so that basically meant that we had a new, you know, new players in town. And it basically meant that we had the opportunity to grow as a database company alongside of the change in terms of hardware as well. So yeah, I was very much a transition child from five to six, along with the transition from VMS to uh, Unix operating systems, which was all line really new. So I felt very comfortable, very much like the Gen Z and today with their TikTok world and everything else, which is slightly alien to me. And I'm fairly sure if you came from the IBM mainframe world at that time, the Unix kids coming in uh, with their C code and fancy ideas about and to actually be able systems would have felt very unnatural too. I'm doing a talk Oracle versions tomorrow in my office hours and, and we're talking about storage. Someone's asked like what kind of storage do they get? So a little bit of I do a bit of a history there and it's funny how, yeah, we used to pay uh, on the mainframe, we used to pay, I think it was the last I'll check, we used to pay about $150 per gigabyte per month. Like you never owned the storage, you rented it. I remember when our first Oracle product, we were running on Sun, Sun Spark 10, 40 megahertz CPU, fantastic. But I remember we had these the old wide SCSI disk, which I think it was a three gigabyte disk pack, and and you paid about five thousand dollars for it. But you, and we were like blown away that you pay for it and you owned it. It was yours, and like wow, three gigabytes. We thought we will never ever fill three gigabytes. We use like, three gigabytes. <laughs> yeah, kids these days, kids these days don't know how old they are. Right? I mean, this is. It was like uh, I, I did see when I was traveling through Twitter, and that's another story. So right, I was through through Twitter yesterday. And I did see a picture of, you know, the first large scale mainframe being moved into, I can't remember which building it was inside of the UK. And then someone holding up, you know, a Raspberry Pi W right next to exactly the same entrance and just where and, and actually framed it perfectly in terms of where the computer has actually been moved in before. We've come such a long way in a relatively short period of time. And even in my limited career inside of the IT industry, it does feel like uh, things have moved on so, so, so much. So, and it's been fantastic to be involved in some of those companies over that period of time, you know, both inside of IBM, Oracle and, and Google indeed. That's true. I, I chuckle because, as you know, one of the things I have to do nowadays is produce video for my role. 
And uh, yeah, I've just clocked over, I think, the 25 terabyte mark at home here. I'd love to say that's beautifully well-organized in a big disk pack, but no, it's like 12 external drives piggybacked onto each other, et cetera. But that's, you know, it's homegrown. It's homegrown. Yeah, I, I, I'm very much more a cloud person I, I, in, in the cloud I trust. And I, I may come a full fell on that at some stage in future, but in the cloud I trust. And so I have very little of, of that infrastructure in my, in my room. I think I've got one external hard drive, uh, which at this point, I think it's only a terabyte in size as well, which I use for local backups and that's it. <laughs> So I'm in a completely different world to you. So you mentioned you went from payroll to financials and then into C program. Your early roles at Oracle went you headed into that space. Were you like actually working on the product? Is that or like the database product or? I, in my early days, I was working on uh, Oracle payroll as as it was then. You know, so we were writing the code and then running the Oracle internal payroll run. And you know, my early days, Dave Enser and those sort of guys. My contact with people who don't know Dave Enser as he was one of the you know, most important database tuning experts at that time. I mean, you must. I know, you Dave very well. Everyone's. So I remember, you know, working with Dave sitting down inside of his office and we were trying to optimize the uh, Oracle payroll SQL just to actually get the payroll done in less than two days, two or three days, as it were, at that stage. And so that was my first experience with the internals of the Oracle. So I was very much at that stage involved in Oracle apps, which is feels very strange saying it now because my involvement with Oracle apps since then has been really, you know, just as a user and not as a, a developer inside of the space. But I spent the first, I'd say, year and a half, maybe two years working in Oracle apps. And so my engagement with the database only really came in terms of performance tuning on the Oracle database. And after I spent some time in that area, I moved out of, oddly enough, Oracle development and back into pre-sales. And was brought back into pre-sales to work with some of our larger customers on, oddly enough, database tuning. So then the next 10 years of my career in Oracle was spent with some of Oracle became Amir's largest customers on fixing their um, big performance problems. And I was you know, relatively junior at that stage, but we spent most of our time doing benchmarks and database tuning. So lots of uh, interesting work inside of that space. But so, again, so educational. I learned so much in such a short period of time about not just about databases, but the way the data, you know, the operating system works, the way that people respond to changes in um, the differences that performance makes to a, a, you know, a business process. And that's, again, we tend to always ignore that, you know, you know, especially some of our database performance tuning experts tend to regard it as, What's the latency? How fast is the query actually reduced in the period of time? What we don't really see, it, you know, certainly if you're working in development or have only ever worked in database tuning, is the impact it can actually make to the business in terms of going from 12 hours down to 40 minutes and can save an, an unbelievable amount of money to an organization. You know, if they can run that process four times where they're only able to run it once, basically means they can, you know, be more productive, more flexible more engaging with the various pressures they actually have as an organization. So I, that 10 years I actually spent, spent in pre-sales was so, so, so important to everything that I actually learned and, and bring to, I think, what is database development, but it was incredibly important. I want to stress to listeners that Dom's not being paid here because 
the paragraph he just said pretty much reiterates exactly my t- my topic at SQL tuning. I gave it Cloud World just gone, where I you know I said my five steps to SQL tuning, and step one was step away from the SQL and focus on the customer experience. So I just want to stress to listeners, Don was not preempted to, to say that. I didn't. Oddly enough, and comment, and this don't don't take this badly. I had no idea that you even that was the theme of your presentation or a cloud as well. I now will go back and view the video. That's right, and I'll I'll send you that twenty pounds as we promised. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you you mentioned Dave Ensor, and, and you know for those that don't know Dave Ensor, he was probably globally the best well-known of, of that time in terms of database experts and, and sadly passed away recently after a long illness. It's funny you say you learned so much from him in terms of education. I've told this story before, but I'll repeat it for the benefit of podcast listeners. I pretty much owe my entire career, I think, to Dave because I was working for a large mining company in Australia. And because it was just one of Australia's largest companies, we just started using Oracle. But it's that terrible, sort of, I'm almost ashamed to say it's all about ego when you're working for one of the biggest companies in Australia you think, well, then by definition, I'm doing things right. And so we had an Oracle database and we thought we were the bee's knees. In those days, client server was touted to be the future and we just started doing client server and we thought we were fantastic. And Oracle had managed to bring out Dave. Now that Oracle customers were starting to proliferate in Australia, they made a big deal. They said, we're going to bring out Dave Ensel, who I think had just at the time switched to BMC, to come out and do some talks for Oracle customers. And he gave a talk, the 20 mistakes you're probably making with your Oracle database. And I went along, you know, with my very big head. And as I ticked off 18, I think, or maybe even 19 of the 20, I thought, you know, maybe I need to start learning a little bit more. And that got me involved. Funny enough, I thought, well, being in Australia, we didn't really have a strong user group sort of focus. And so I thought, how do I learn more? And I discovered Usenet or the, the use groups, Deja News in those days. And there was a guy that used to hang out there all the time named Tom Kite. Lots of questions. <laughs> Good old Tom. And, and it's funny, bringing that circle full round, like about 15 years later, BMC, yeah, it might have been BMC, held a competition where if you wrote an essay, if, if they selected your essay, you got a free trip to Open World. And being in Australia, I thought I'll never be able to afford to go to Open World as an attendee. And so I entered this competition and was fortunate enough to win. I didn't know it at the time, but, but the prize was you know a trip to Open World and an attendance badge. But also they said, and you get to have a dinner with our anonymous judges. Oh, great. So I go along and the anonymous judges were Dave Ensor and Tom Kite. Oh, wow. And so it was, it was this great thing. It was the first time I met them in person. And I mean, I lost touch with Dave some years ago because after he moved into the legal profession. But certainly uh, Tom, ultimately, I ended up, you know, what I do now, ask tom.oracle.com. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting bringing the circle all the way around. But certainly it's, if I hadn't gone to that thing where I learned that, learned to get a bit of humility and tick off the 19 mistakes, I probably would have been a not, not so much an Oracle person. And, and, it, and it is one of those things. And, you know, Tom had many meals with Tom as well. Um, but one of the things that I, I learned, and I, I think I learned probably too late in my career, uh, and that says a lot, I think, is that you don't know how little you know until you know meet someone who knows just a little bit more than you. And the difference with Dave Benser and Tom Kite, it wasn't that they knew just a little bit more than you. They knew so much more than you and of course it's any ego you have you just need to leave at the door certainly with those two and and many others as well and I think that's the other thing that you tend to forget is that you can stumble across I mean everyone knows Tom Kai or certainly in the Oracle community everyone knows Tom Kai and and probably if you don't know Dave Enzi he's certainly a a hero to the heroes of you in, in some respects but you can always meet that one person who is quiet and quietly spoken who knows 
all of the things that you really should know. And I know certainly any career advice I could give anyone else, look for that sort of person. Look for the person who's quiet, who gets on with their job, who does it well and delivers the results and sit down and try and figure out what you can learn from them because they're, you, you can you know push yourself so much further just on the back of those small giants. And those are the ones you really want to focus on, the small giants of the uh, IT industry. And that's why I consider myself so lucky because I literally you know, stumbled across it. it was yeah. Just, you know, just yeah. Luck. yeah, lucky you. Lucky you. Uh, yeah, incredible. I mean, what a dinner to basically have. Dave Enser and Tom Kite. I can only imagine the copious amounts of alcohol who were drunk and during that <laughs> Moving on to 10 years in pre-sale, yeah. which means during that time you would have seen a whole stack of different Oracle versions yeah. and either major versions or patch sets, et cetera. Yeah. It's funny, I wrote a blog post recently where I said, I'm sick and tired of everyone saying Oracle 7 was the best version. If you're on version N, you generally view version N minus one with rose tinted right. glasses. And so my blog post point out all the things I said, you know, do you want to move a data file? Well, you're taking your system offline, you yeah. know, oh, Mac six tenths. Nah, I didn't get that, you know, et cetera. In your time at Oracle, there's obviously been some releases that probably were really transformational to the company. Yeah. You've already mentioned Oracle six. Yeah. In terms of the versions you've been you've sat through or, or been custodian of to some degree, what do you reckon have been the, the real landmark releases, and what do you reckon the ones that maybe maybe should never have seen the light of day? Well, I mean, Oracle six. Everyone, you know, it, it is it was that inflection point in many ways for the whole database industry in my world, certainly. Um, I think it was important for lots of organizations. And so I always hold that one with special, it, it launched my career. I think it was important for so many other organizations who are transitioning from hierarchical databases into the relational world. I, I, you can't knock that. Um, for me, I think it was moving through Oracle 9, oddly enough. And I know it's not spoken enough for not because it, it definitely had its problems. But I, again, for me, Oracle 9, I think was the launch of think technologies like real application clusters and you know i know you can talk about pl sql and you can talk about partitioning but in many ways i think real application clusters still stands as um the pinnacle of oracle engineering data engineering because it solves so many problems for customers and so for oracle 9 you know the early days of oracle 9 as we were moving from um you know you know we had some form of like distributed database or and shared, you know, shared everything architecture, but it was really Oracle 9 and Oracle 9.2 that really started to bring that whole experience for real application clusters, as it was later renamed, to the front. And so for me, Oracle 9, I always look fondly on, but Oracle 10, uh, you know, again, was the foundation when I think, I think people tend to forget about how good Oracle 10 was as a release. Certainly, you know, the, the later releases of Oracle 10 and it formed the foundation. But you're right, everyone tends to remember the, either the version they just left over the version that is, you know, spectacular. And in my world, Oracle 10, I, I remember spending so much time on, so much, did so much work on, and it really, you know, the functionality started to expand. Uh, you know, it wasn't just about the database, all of the things that you're talking, the foundations for online operations, parallel, you know, really became a powerful solution in that release. So for me, and I may be looking on with rose tinted glasses, um, but Oracle 10, I think is probably my favorite, you know, release of the Oracle database, um, just in terms of what it basically meant from a functionality standpoint, 
but clearly you know kid that i'm working with at this moment also holds a lot of affection as well so i've got a lot of affection for oracle 23 as well yeah oracle oracle 10 i think probably if you force force my answer what's your favorite release yeah i don't think many people would say that by the way i think i may be in a small minority it's an interesting one because yeah it, it wouldn't be my pick however if someone had said to me you can have oracle 9 and the only thing we're adding is active session history and we're calling it oracle 10 i would have still said that's worthy of a release yeah i take your point i do feel a bit sorry for lack of a better term for oracle 10 in the sense that it almost suffered a bit from our own marketing yeah chutzpah in the sense that we said this is the database that automates everything I remember the you know, we'll, you'll never need to do tune another database again. And salespeople always have that generosity with uh with with, with their claims. Yeah. And and that that's part of part of the, the world of IT. But it's one of those things where as a result, I think people were very quick to say, you've claimed twelve things, but you only deliver eleven, as opposed to going, We've delivered eleven amazing things, but oh, but you didn't deliver the twelfth. Twelve. And yeah. and certainly out of all those things, active session history, I think, was the one that just absolutely blew my mind. And, yeah. and to this day, to this day, it's funny, like I probably, the only time you see people critical of Oracle licensing is they're going, the, the thing that they always bring up is, why can't Ash be in every release? So uh, that just shows how how vital it is to people and how right. incredibly important it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do agree that Oracle 10 was pretty cool and, and maybe gets a bit of a bad rap. It, it does get, it gets a terrible bad rap, but and I think there was so, we, we lose sight of the fact that it wasn't just that it introduced so many fun, um, pieces of functionality. It also refined so many pieces of functionality. You know, partitioning, I think, really became, um, you know, a key the, the powerhouse that it is today in Oracle 10, you know, it became, if you're building a data warehouse, the partitioning functionality in Oracle 10 at that stage, from my perspective, again, really lent itself to, it was such a strong story, such a strong story at that stage. And again, you know, it was a release that Oracle started to pull away from the rest of the industry. You know, there were features in Oracle 10 that today, many of our competitors still don't have. Um, and, um, so, so that's why, in some respects, certainly as a product manager, I feel very fond of Oracle 10 because it was really was when Oracle started to put the foot on the accelerator in terms of functionality. And I can understand why some people say, well, did we really need all of the functionality that you had? Well, it was because customers were asking for it at that stage. But it was still lots and lots of fond memories for Oracle 10. Maybe I write, or write a blog some stage about why I feel so strongly about Oracle 10. So version 10 or 10G as it was known, holds a special place in Dom's heart. Do I agree? Do I have a different release number in mind for my favorite version of the Oracle database? We'll find out that when we continue our conversation with Dom in the next session. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music.